Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Um, I'm going just to introduce um, the person sharing the word tonight, which most of you will know. Um, uh, Cornel is, uh, is going to share with us tonight. Um, <coughs> Cornel is such a legend. Um, he's a small group leader. Um, he is a missions leader. He is a husband leader. He is a... What else do you do, Cornel? Lots of things. Hey? He has a cat. Cat leader of his cat. I don't know if, if Nanya would agree with that, but... Um, <laughs> and uh, I love you, Cornel. And um, Cornell, Cornell and I, have a, um, we have a bit of a, a race going on at the moment. Um, who has done the most weddings? Who has performed the most wedding ceremonies? Um, even though I'm the pastor, Cornell at one stage had performed more wedding ceremonies than me. <laughs> he, um, he is such a great small group facilitator that the people in his small group asks him to marry them. <laughs> um, no, but I say, that, I say that lightly, but I think that is actually... An amazing testimony in terms of the, the impact that he has on the people around him. And um, thank you, thanks to Philip and Rieta for asking me to marry them because now we're too old again. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, Cornell has an amazing gift for preaching as well. Um, he's, he's preached once before in church and uh, we are hoping that he'll preach, preach uh, more regularly. Um, and uh, we're just honoring you as someone who um, is faithful in the word. I was just reading through Titus this weekend, and it talks about um, Paul encourages Titus, and he says, you know, watch the, set a strong example and watch the integrity of your message. And to me, you are someone that, has, that, that um, shares a message of integrity and that, shares a, that lives a godly example. Um, and, uh, and I just honor you for that. And we receive what the Lord wants to say through you. And uh, we bless you. Thank you so much. Sure. It's a real privilege for me to be here with you tonight. Thank you all for being here and sacrificing the cricket, especially guys like Nathan. I'm going to ask Ilza to keep her eyes on him through the sermon that he's not checking the score on his phone. Um, let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you that you are here. We thank you, Lord, that as we welcome new members into the, into the church tonight, that we know that you are building your church, God, that you are building us as your bride and as your body into what you imagined in your mind when you were hanging on the cross. And we just want to honor you tonight, Jesus, as the King of Kings, as the, the head of the church and as, as the one who, who loves us and gives us every satisfaction and meaning to our lives and we open our hearts to to you tonight holy spirit in jesus name amen okay so i want to start off by quickly checking something is it safe to say that everyone here would say that you want to fulfill your calling the calling that's on your life anybody that uh, does not want to do that cool okay so a question i want to ask on that is why why do you want to fulfill your calling You don't have to think too hard. 
Does anybody want to uh, hazard a guess? Well, it's not a guess. It's your answer, so, you know, no wrong answers. I, I believe that's 100. No, I'm shaking it like this, yeah. That's right. Like, no, it's not weird that you say that, and yes, I agree. Yes, because um, it's in God's will that we are satisfied, right? We were made for a purpose. Um, we were made by God in a specific way, so that definitely is a reason. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes, Jock. Eternal reward, right? Life is short. Eternity is long. And uh, Jesus does promise reward. And also, because we want to please God, right? One day we want to stand before Him, we want to hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And, um, yeah, I, it's interesting for me, um, when you ask a question in our context, like, what is calling? You'll probably get different answers. But I find that uh, there is kind of nowadays a leaning in a certain direction. If you ask a question like, can you give examples of Christians who have fulfilled their callings? People often give examples of kind of Christians who did big, who fulfilled big ticket items, if you want to put it that way, like William Wilberforce and the abolition of the slave trade or um, Martin Luther King Jr. with uh, the civil rights movement in America or people with big ministries um, and all of this. And that is, that is right. And you find examples like that in the Bible, like where Paul and Barnabas get separated to minister to the Gentiles and, and, and Peter gets separated to minister to the Jews. They were called to a specific work here on earth by God, right? They were separated to that. But there's another aspect to calling that I want to explore a bit um, tonight. And my Bible helps me out by having like a dictionary in the back of it that defines certain Christian words. And this is what it says about the word calling or call. So it says, call means to summon, specifically in the New Testament, to summon to discipleship or to accept God's divine invitation to salvation. And then it gives some scriptures where it uses this word to kind of illustrate the point. So the first one is the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. He's, it says, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus who tells a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Another example in Mark 1, verse 19 to 20. When he, that is Jesus, had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. And then another example in Luke where Jesus says he did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And finally, a verse we know quite well in Romans 8.28 um, where it says, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And when I read this, it's kind of the, the second way that the Bible talks about calling. It's an it's a invitation. It's more of an invitation into something than a commission to doing something. And we see here that, you know, Jesus invites His disciples um, to follow Him. He invites sinners uh, to repentance. And in this last verse also, it says, to those who are called according to God's purpose. And when I read that, my understanding of it is it's an invitation to share in God's purpose. It's an invitation to, sh to share in the things that pleases God and the things that He delights in and the things that are important to Him. So what is important to God? 
Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 32. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, I believe that the church is Jesus' baby. It's his lover and his bride-to-be. And if we want to please God, part of our calling is to love the church and to look after her like he would want us to look after her. So a question that follows on that is how do we do that? How do we actually look after the church? And tonight I want to talk about that a bit. So there's just three aspects that I want to touch on. The first is who is the church? Who is the bride of Christ? The second is... What does it look like when the church is looked after? And finally, then, how do we actually practically look after the church? So the Bible gives quite a few metaphors for the church in the New Testament. Um, And in this passage of Scripture in Ephesians, we see two of them. And Stefan actually spoke about them um, both during the pre-sermon. I don't know what it's called, the new members portion. Um, But I'll just say it again. The first is that of a bride. So it tells us that the church is like, it, it is the bride of Christ. whom, And the image it uses here is, it says, just like a man leaves his parents, leaves his father and his mother to be joined to his wife, Jesus left heaven. He left the father to come to earth to win the heart of his bride and eventually died on the cross for her and went back to heaven to prepare a place. And we know one day there's going to be a wedding feast where he's going to be reunited with her. So the picture of a bride. And the second picture it gives us is that of a body. The Bible tells us that the church is like a body, and just like a body has different parts, like a feet, like a feet, like two feet, and a nose, and ears, and all these things which function together to make up a properly function, functioning human being. So the church is made up of individual members and groups of individuals that meet together and that each have a purpose that contribute to the working thereof. And it tells us that the head of the church is Christ. He's the leader of it. He's the one who... Um, is in authority over it, and it's his church. And the Bible tells us that the church is connected to Christ in a very special way. It's connected to him through his Holy Spirit. When he died on the cross and he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came to earth and it filled us, he filled us. And um, because of that, we share in his spirit and we're connected to Christ in this kind of mysterious and supernatural and very, very, very real way. And um, we're also connected to one another by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working in us. He's he's making us more like Christ. He's doing this work in us that brings us closer and closer to Jesus until the day when we're actually going to be reunited with Him when He comes back for us. And this, this piece of Scripture also gives us some insights into how Jesus feels about His body and how Jesus feels about His bride. It says that, He laid down his life for her that he might cleanse her um, 
that he might present her to himself one day a spotless and a, a blemish-free bride. And praise God for that, because if I'm honest with myself, I'm not quite spotless yet, right? I'm pretty blemishy and I'm pretty messed up and I've got a lot of issues and they come out all the time and in church context, outside of church context, whatever. But it tells us that Jesus is making us into a holy church, that there's this work that he's doing in us through his Holy Spirit to make us a spotless and a holy bride. I love what Timothy Keller says about this. He says that Jesus does not love the church because she is beautiful. Rather, he makes her beautiful because he loves her. And there's this working in us that's taking us um, into holiness through the church. And then also, um, there's these two words which really stood out for me when I read this. It says that husbands should love their wives as their own bodies because no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And what I read there is that it's kind of implying that he even sees us as his own flesh and he nourishes and he cherishes us. And I believe that we're called to do the same with the church. And those two words kind of have two different concepts to them. Nourish, like, is the picture of like a mother nourishing a child with the physical things it needs. So food and clothing and security and all the physical things that a child needs to grow. And I believe we're called to do the same, to love one another through providing the things that the church needs when its members are going through hard times. Sometimes the, the food and the clothing and the security and also the finances and resources that the church needs to do the work of the ministry in the context that it's in. But of course, you can grow up in a home with a lot of resource, and that does not mean that it's a healthy home. And um, there's other things which are also required, and that's where the second concept comes in, that of cherishing. And the picture um, from the, the word that's used in the Greek here is kind of like one person warming another person with their own body. So it's not giving something physical. It's a giving of yourself. It's a giving of yourself to make sure that that person or that child has got what it needs to grow and to survive. And I think that talks to giving our affection, giving our attention, giving our time to the church to make sure that it's growing and that it is healthy. And I, I, I really believe that God is calling or calls us to that also. So what does it look like when the church is nourished and cherished? What does it look like when the church is healthy? Well, the few verses preceding this passage, um, Paul talks to the church and he gives um, these few pointers on how the church should act according um, or what is the right way for them to act amongst each other. And I just quickly want to read it to us. Ephesians 5 from verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So Paul mentions four things here. He says, firstly, we should speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I believe that refers to the way that we interact with each other and actually that we speak to each other, that it should always be upbuilding, that we should walk in a way and in a way of love and always build each other up, make sure that there is not um, dissension and jealousy and strife and greed and hate and all these things that drive people apart, but to make sure that 
in our interactions with each other, that we're at a place where we're building each other up all the time. The second thing he talks about is singing and making melody in our hearts, and I think that speaks to worship. So firstly, in your private capacity, worshiping God and making sure that he is the, in the place of um, first love, like Shamiso was singing. That was beautiful, by the way, Shamiso. I really enjoy that during worship, worship, but that he is the first love in our lives. And then also corporately coming together and singing and worshiping God together and learning about him together and learning how to magnify him together as, as a body. The third thing he mentions is giving thanks. And I love that because I believe that speaks to having a different view than the world because we can give thanks in every situation, right? In the world, if you are in a, you know, a position of power or you're in a high job or whatever and that's where you find your hope or your security and you lose that, it crushes you because that's what gave you your joy and your hope. But as, as the church, as the bride of Christ, we know that we've got an eternal hope. And we understand that even the things that are hard in our lives, God uses to shape us and to build our characters um, into eternity, to make us more like Him and to bring us closer to Him so that we don't have to look at our circumstances, but we can always be thankful. And then finally, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Another translation says, in reverence for Christ. And that's a hard one, right? Because I don't think that the submission it's talking about here is like a passive submission, like Stefan is over there and I'm submitting to him, but as long as he doesn't come too close, because he really irritates me in so many ways and, you know, at, at a distance. That's not it at all. I believe that it's an active submission. There's another verse that says we should esteem each other higher than ourselves, each, yeah, each other higher than ourselves, and there's action attached to that, right? I love the way that Tim Mackey from the Bible Project and um, what he says about the early church, he says it's a very bland way of putting it. I don't think it's bland at all. He says the early church were a group of people who were characterized by a radical commitment to being together. Because they spent a lot of time together. They ate together. They attended temple together. They prayed together. They were associated with each other. They formed this group of or this loving community in a bigger community. But they were together all the time. And also they were committed to relationship to building each other up, to walking in this intimate relationship where they were forced to get vulnerable um, in front of one another. And that's hard, right? Because the problem is the church is made up of people like me. And I've got issues. And I say stupid things. And I hurt people. And I get hurt by people. And I struggle to control my emotions sometimes. And all of these things. It's not easy. But I believe that it's worth it. And I just want to share uh, a testimony of a place where I've experienced this um, to a degree. So I've had the, the privilege of visiting Ukraine um, on missions trip a few times in the past few years. And I remember the first time that I went um, was in, the sec in my second year uh, while I was doing masters. And I prayed at the start of the year and I was like, Lord, it's my second year of masters. I'm really far behind as any good master's student is when his second year starts. Um, I don't feel I've got the time. I knew I've got no finances to go. So I'm not planning on going on missions. But if you want me to go somewhere, then please tell me. And immediately I felt him say Ukraine. And I was like, where is that? 
And eventually, okay, I, I knew kind of where it was, not exactly, but I figured out it's in Eastern Europe and that the Franschuk Church um, is going there on a mission trip. So I connected with them and started kind of doing my research and joined the team on, or on the team roster, not having a lot of faith that I'm actually going to go. And um, then the war started in Ukraine. Russia um, started creating trouble in the East and they kind of invaded the country, even though they deny it. And all of this kind of issues started there, and there was this threat all the time that Russia could invade at any moment, um, and that they could, you know, uh, what's the word, like siege the airports or whatever, and suddenly it became very real that I'm not going to Ukraine. I'm like, Lord, are you sure you didn't say like the UK? <laughs> like, you know, did I hear right? Is it Ukraine? And um, he confirmed to me that it was Ukraine, and long story short, he provided all of the finances for me and my team to go. Nathan was actually with me on that mission. And I think the day we had to buy our tickets, one of us had money to go and the rest of us didn't. And by that evening, six of us had money to go and ended up going on that trip. And the one person who had money actually didn't went, so didn't never went. So that was interesting. But God provided miraculously for, for us to go on this mission trip. And we went to Ukraine, we went to the east of the, uh, the west of the country um, to a church that we connected with there that also has a large contingent of kind of young people like me, I'm young, um, you know, like 20-somethings, um, and we connected with them, and it changed my life because I went there, and I experienced something in that church that really shook me to the core, like an acceptance and love that just God came and did, like he did something in my heart there that completely changed me um, for the rest of my life. And I remember sitting on the airport on my way back um, from there and saying like, Lord, I don't want to go home. <laughs> like, I want to stay here. I, you know, uh, the first opportunity, I actually went again that year. The first opportunity that I got, I went over for an academic conference. And yeah, it, it was just um, something special that the Lord came in and did in my heart. And then last year, me and my wife had the opportunity to go again on a mission trip and to take a team from this church to, to that same um, church in the west of Ukraine. And we'd been there before, but last year we went and it was probably um, one of the, at least the first six days, was probably one of the hardest mission trips, excluding mission trips, six days of my life. Um, I remember just before we were about to go, um, half of the team got sick. We all got flu. I went to the doctor. She told me I've got swine flu, which was new for me. And I was like, oh, I thought you'd die from that. <laughs> but apparently, so I go to my wife and I'm like, love, we've got to fly tomorrow. I know they scan you like to check your body temperature and stuff and they don't allow your planes. Please pray for me. And my wife's just like, I told you to get your flu shot. I'm not going to pray for you. You should have listened to me. Because she got a flu shot, and I hate needles. And um, eventually I convinced her to pray for me, and God heals me. So may that be a lesson to all of us, that there is mercy. Anyway, so the day before God, she prays for me, God heals me. I'm fine. I get on the plane. All of us go over. Um, but, like, the first few days there was really, really tough. Because now we flew. Half of the team is still kind of sick. Um, we're not sleeping a lot. We, we slept like four or five hours a night. When we got there, some of the team came under spiritual attack um, and like we're going through hectic stuff like in their sleep dreams. I, I couldn't sleep the one night. 
and my wife really struggled to sleep as well. And we get to this camp, and um, the pastor's wife comes to me, and she's like, okay, there's a guy ministering here. You'll have an opportunity to minister on the Friday. That was like the Monday. But we want you to pray in the mornings um, before the camp and do the intercession for, for this camp. So the first morning, I'm like, okay, guys, we haven't slept like a lot, so we're just going to you know, sleep till seven, and then we're going to go pray so that we get at least like five or six hours in. Sleep till seven, get up, go pray, everything is fine. And praise, praise the Lord for Russians, but like this lady comes to me afterwards, and like Russians are really direct, and she pretty much tells me like, you guys are undisciplined, you've got to wake up earlier and pray, okay? So now I go to the team, and I'm like, guys, we have to wake up earlier and pray, and now the team is like so negative with me. Next morning they get up, but like, no desire, you know, to all flesh. <laughs> and, um, and now we, we're praying, and, and, and we get up every morning and we pray, and there's just kind of this tension, right? And except for that, like, we're, 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 um, we were divided into teams on the, on the camp uh, with some of the local people, and, like, it was really tough because we couldn't speak the language. Like, our team had one person who could speak English in it. The rest of them couldn't really speak English. They only speak Russian. And um, it was tough because it's hard to connect with people like that. Um, it's hard to love people if you don't understand them. And then I remember the Thursday was like a water day at the camp. So they, we had like lots of water activities and they put out this big slide and everyone was sliding and the pastor at a stage was like, okay, everyone stop sliding, we're done now. And this one guy on my team is like, I'm going to go one more time. So he goes and he falls and he tears a ligament in his leg. And the doctor inspects him, and she's like, okay, listen, you've got to sit still. You can't move for three days. And after that, like, you're going to have to see a physio, and there's going to be rehab, and it's probably going to take weeks or months, and then you'll be back to the full strength on your legs. So now he's, like, super down. His wife is super down. They're in the room. They're not talking to anybody. And, like, things are just, like, falling apart. I remember saying to my wife, like, in that week, like, I want to go home. And I was serious. I was like... <laughs> I just, I don't know what to do. Like, I know I'm supposed to be a good Christian and persevere and all these things, but like, I feel like going home right now. And then that night, the Thursday night, Devolt Robinson comes to me. Praise God for that guy. He comes to me and he's like, Cornell, we're not going to stand for this. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to pray for this guy. So we, we gather on and we pray for this guy um, that evening for his leg and nothing happens. And we pray for him again. And nothing happens. And now it's like a little bit awkward. And we're all sitting there like, great, you know, what do we do now? And then this one guy on the team starts opening up. And he's like, the past few days have been really, really tough for me. Like my identity has come under attack and I just feel so worthless. And he just opens up pretty much and he starts crying. And we've got the opportunity to pray for him. And then my wife speaks. I forgot my wife's birthday that week. Note to all men everywhere, set reminders on your phones every day for the two weeks leading up to your wife. Never do that. Okay. So my wife opens up and she says, we forgot her birthday. And then we have a good session of repentance and forgiveness after that. Um, and then, like, the team just opened up and became vulnerable in front of each other that night and were willing um, to share the things that were tough and, and, and to allow each other in and to forgive. And I, I don't really know how to explain it, but there's just something that happened 
that night. Something almost that like broke in the spirit over the team. And the next day was um, the Friday, and it was our opportunity to, to minister. So we prepared the life house kit. The guy who had hurt his leg was supposed to play Jesus in the skit, so he, he was out, um, I, and I had to play Jesus. And we prepared for the skit, and then we had the, the opportunity to actually do it and then to minister a song to them and then to pray afterwards. So um, as we're doing this, this guy's like, well, I'm, I'm not, I can't just lie here, like, I'm at least going to go pray for people. So he like hobbles up to the tent afterwards and he prays for the one guy. Um, and then he prays for a second person. The person's like, no, 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 I'm going to pray for you now. So he, he prays for this guy's leg and God heals his leg like completely. The next day we were late for our train and this guy was running with him, his and his wife's bags um, in his hand, like after the train. And like his leg was was fine. He said like, it still hurt a little bit, but the ligament was no longer torn. Like God, God healed him completely. And my wife, you know, I said that our, our group was really tough because um, there were there was not a lot of English going around there, um, and language was really a problem. And my wife, um, there was this one girl who really spoke no English, and she comes and stands um, after the after the life house kid while we were worshiping with my wife, and she doesn't really know what to do, Nanya doesn't know what to do, so she just prays for this girl in the spirit for like 15 minutes, and um, she can see like this girl, this girl is crying, and she doesn't really know, and okay, cool, and eventually this girl's like, thank you, and she walks away, and she brings back an interpreter, and this interpreter comes to Nanya, and she's like, Nastya wants to know, if you can speak Russian, then why haven't you like spoke it all week? And Nanya's like, I don't speak Russian. And this interpreter's like, well, she says, you just prayed for her in fluent Russian for like 10 minutes. And, um, you know, that's, that's the gift of speaking in tongues. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit. And it was amazing for me because, you know, with God, it's not about your culture. He doesn't allow things like language even to stand in the way of us connecting with, with each other, with His body. And we really saw God move um, in amazing ways that night. There was a lot of people who the Holy Spirit ministered to. There were a lot of people who God touched during that night and also through that week and people who He set free. Um, but, you know, there was something I experienced that night, that, that Friday night on, on that camp, that while I, while I was preparing for the sermon, I realized, like, there's no way I can explain it to you, but there was a freedom and a peace that I experienced in the Holy Spirit that, I just remember saying to God, like, I want to feel like this every day of my life. If this is what it feels like to be in your will, like, nothing compares to it. And, and also, like, a connection to those people. I remember just feeling, like, overwhelmed by love for them. I, I mean, I can't speak their language. I know some of them. And, but there was, like, a love for them. And the best way I can describe it is just, like, I felt like giving myself to them, like, if I can help them in any way, create opportunities for them, I just, I just had this desire to bless them. And I realize now that that wasn't by my own strength. That wasn't like, I can't, I can't fabricate that type of thing. That it was, it was the Holy Spirit. And I remember also um, the guy who ministered there. I believe, you know, part of the reason why the Holy Spirit moves so freely among those people is because of an openness and a vulnerability that they have, because they're willing to get 
to get vulnerable. I remember the guy who, who ministered there was um, James Lee from America, and he came to me one day and he said, in America, when he does deliverance ministry with people, it usually takes him like a few weeks or even months um, to get people to open up, to share about what they're actually experiencing and what they're going through. And when they do that, then he can actually pray into those things and God can deliver them. But in Ukraine, it's like 10 minutes and this person has, has shared like the deepest things of their heart and God comes and delivers them like that. And we experience that as well. People coming to us on the camp and like one guy came to me and he just said to me, you know, I don't know what to do, but I'm struggling with homosexuality and I, I need help. Like, I need you to come, I need you to pray for me. I, I don't know what to do about this. And, and we saw that happen a lot just because I believe it's just a faith that they have to say like, God, I know, like, I just, I trust that you can work through these people, even though I don't know them. Like, I trust you that you can come and that you can touch me regardless of who the vessel is. And I remember coming back um, from that trip, and we, we spoke about it a lot, but the, the, the kind of key aspect that characterized um, those, like what we experienced there for me was esteeming each other higher than, our, than, than yourself. There was something that we saw there, um, just in terms of how, how the church operates, about esteeming each other higher than, than yourselves. And I even remember thinking to myself, like the way that those people, like how open they are, it's almost like, it almost seems like gullible. I know that sounds bad, but like it almost felt to me like I want to defend these people because someone could so easily take advantage of the fact that they're willing to open themselves up. And I think we get trained in our kind of Western mindset that you shouldn't open yourself up to people. You shouldn't let people in because people have hidden agendas and they can let you down. But God has no hidden agenda. Do you know that? God has no hidden agenda when it comes to loving us. And what I realize is what I experienced on that camp and what I'm still experiencing, I've still got a heart for Ukraine. I love that place. I love its people. I miss them. Like, I want to, to be back there a lot. But what I experienced on that camp is not something of myself. It's not like I can fabricate those emotions or those feelings. I realize that it was the Holy Spirit. Even the ability to, to make myself vulnerable. I don't even, I don't have that ability. I I also struggle to trust people. I also struggle to open myself up. But I think that's why this piece of Scripture says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, and then follows these things that we need to do. Because when the Holy Spirit starts working in us, when the Holy Spirit starts permeating us, it's in that place that we start sharing in Christ's love for the church where we start trusting that even though people are imperfect, God can use imperfect people to minister to us. And even though we are imperfect people, He can minister through us. And then we start sharing in that love of Christ, and that love looks a certain way. And it tells us here, it's, it looks like Jesus leaving the Father, leaving His glory, coming down to earth to serve the people who He knew would eventually reject and crucifying and hanging on the cross and saying, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Bible tells us he could do that because of the joy that was set before him, right? And I believe that that joy is the church. It's his bride. That's Jesus' joy. It's the people around him. And tonight I want to make two invitations, right? And maybe the band can come up. And the first one is, Maybe you're here and 
you've never actually come into a a place where you can say that you belong um, to the bride of Christ. Maybe, you know, you don't feel a part of that. And I think the the way, while I was just sitting there, I was just like, Lord, how how do we how do we know if we know you? And He just kind of gave me this line and said that, is my love real to you? And I just want to so invite you tonight that if God's love is not real to you, as you sit here, there's an invitation. There's an invitation from the Lord to come and to experience that because Jesus is real. What He did for us is real. The forgiveness of sins and freedom and deliverance, that stuff is real. But above all of that, there's an invitation to come and know God. And if you don't, do not know Him personally here tonight, I want to invite you to respond to that, to say to God, God, I desire to know you. Maybe, you know, and this is also what I realized, like, I'm standing here and I might make an invitation, but I know that if that is you, God Himself will be convicting you of that in your heart. And that's, that's the first invitation that I'm going to make, that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I really want you to come so that we can pray with you tonight and that we can trust God that a beautiful relationship between, between you and Him will start today. And then the second invitation that I want to make is maybe you are here and maybe you are a part of the bride of Christ, but you desire to have a love for the bride that is bigger than the one that you currently have. And for me, the thing here is it's not about trying harder, right? I don't want to stand here and say, if you just figure out what your role is and you work really hard at doing that, you will have a, a love for the bride because that is not true. I would rather say, come to God, be filled with the Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit fills you, He will give you a love for the bride that you will not be able to resist. It's like Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. It's a love that we do not have naturally, but that gets poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom Jesus Himself gave to us. Jesus loving people through us. And I want to invite you to that tonight. I want to ask um, the Holy Spirit to come tonight and to fill us with the heart of Christ for His bride and for each other. And there's, there's two aspects to that. Maybe you, you're here and you've never heard about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And what that is, it's, it's when we ask Jesus to, to baptize us with His Holy Spirit, to fill us up with His Holy Spirit so that we can get activated in that love for the bride and also in the gifts which He has for us. There's a lot of teaching around that and that's important. It's important to know how the church operates and how God calls us to operate. I can't go into all of that tonight. But if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then I want to invite you tonight so that, well, you're going to pray because it's God wants to fill you Himself. But I want to invite you to ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit, to activate you in the Spirit, to give you a love like Jesus has for, firstly, you need to understand it yourself because as the church, Jesus nourishes and cherishes us right and we understand it but then we start having it for the church by what it does in our hearts and if you've never been filled with the holy spirit i want to invite you forward or if you have been filled with the holy spirit this um, verse also says you know do not be drunk with wine and it compares that to being filled with the spirit now if you've ever drank before then you would know that you've got to continue drinking to continue being drunk right if you drink once you'll get drunk and you'll have a headache the next day well, we need to con be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, except no headache, 
Okay, just love <laughs> and lots of it and joy and peace and satisfaction like, like Almarie also said. A satisfaction that comes from knowing that there is a God who created you and who loves you and who made you to walk in a specific way and it's Him that releases you into that. And if you want to say yes to that tonight, if you want to say to God, God, I desire to be filled and continuously filled with your Holy Spirit to share your heart for the bride and to understand your love for myself and for those around me, I also want to invite you forward. So I just want to ask all of us to stand front. So Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the head of the church, that you are our bridegroom, God, and that you are coming back for us one day. And we, we are so excited, God. We thank you, Lord, that you love us in, in a way, Lord God, that, that makes us come alive, Lord Father. There is nothing like your love, Lord God. There is nothing like knowing you, the Creator, the God who made everything, including us, and who chooses to have a relationship with us. And we want to honor you tonight, God, as the King of Kings, as, as, as the Lord of Lords. We want to say, God, you are, you are our Lord. And tonight, God, we want to ask, Father, that, that you will fill us up with your Holy Spirit, God, that you will come and do something in our hearts, Lord God, or that you will fill us, God, with, with your Spirit, that, that we may start, Lord God, to share, Lord, in your love for the bride, Lord, that, that, that we will start to share in your pleasures, God. It's not a thing about trying harder, Lord. We don't want to try harder. We don't want to work harder to earn, Lord, salvation, but we want to start sharing, God, in your desires and your pleasures that you have in the church and in its people, Lord God, and even in us, Lord God. Help us to understand through the Spirit your love, God. Help us to understand, God, how you feel about us, Lord. I want to pray for us, God, that you will help us to know your love, God, and also then that you will give us, Lord, that desire, Lord God, that passion for the church, God, where we do not need to be continuously and, you know, like told, God, that that we need to join this or that or work here or there, God, but where you create a flame in us, like Linka was saying at the beginning of the church, Lord, where your Holy Spirit come, comes and puts a flame in our hearts where we understand, Lord, this is our body, Lord, where this is our, this is our commission, this is our church, Lord, for them. This is, this is our flesh and our bones, Lord. We just honor you tonight, God, and we thank you that, that you are with us in the name of Jesus, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.